0: Welcome into the Jazz Notes Podcast. I'm Ben Anderson. I'm Chandler Holtz. It is February 13th. We are after the trade deadline. We are two games before the All-Star break, so a lot going on in the NBA. It's kind of the turning point in the year for all 30 teams. Uh, Coming up throughout the show, we will uh, break down what happened over the last three games. Of course, the trade deadline, the moves the Jazz decided to make, the moves the Jazz did not make. We'll give you our uh, week ahead predictions, our Jazz grades, and of course, as always, our favorite part of the Podcast answering your mailbag questions that you send in on Twitter. You can find us at Ben's Hoops at Chandler Holt KSL. Read us at KSLSports.com. Follow us everywhere on social media: Facebook, Twitter, or X, Instagram, TikTok, wherever. At KSL Sports and KSLSports.com. All right, Chandler. Last three games for the Utah Jazz.
1: Yeah, Jazz go 1-3 in the last week. Uh, two games, the two losses came after the trade deadline before Fontec, Yo, Olenek, and Akbazi were shipped out. Uh, but that first win, it was a good one over OKC, 7-point win. Uh, Markkanen had 33, Collins had 22. And Jazz shoot 52% from the floor, 40% from three, and out-rebounded uh, out OKC by 16. So that was just a really good win.
0: Uh, exciting game. That was one where, you know, the Jazz had fallen behind by 40 against Oklahoma City. It wasn't 40, it was 20 in the first half against Oklahoma City in the last matchup, which was in late January, battled back, tied it in the third quarter and didn't have enough gas to stop Jalen Williams in the fourth and Shea in the fourth. Uh, But the Jazz kind of flipped that script. They were competitive, stayed competitive, overtook OKC, and then uh, held on to that 124-117 win, and it might be the last Fun win the Jazz have this season <laughs> as far as like, oh, this team might go for it in the play-in tournament and they're beating you know one the number one seed at that point in the Western Conference and it was coming off of beating the number two seed in the Eastern Conference in the Milwaukee Bucks and you kind of thought like oh, a little something here, well something for the fans and then uh, they trade three players and lose to Phoenix one twenty nine one fifteen and what was not an uncompetitive game like Kevin Durant had to play the whole game he was on the the court with five seconds left to play uh, and then. They got smothered by Golden State in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That was not—you know, they hung around, but Golden State was in control. And the Jazz haven't really threatened to beat either of their last two opponents.
1: Yeah, the the Golden State game was definitely a rough one, but looking at Phoenix, there's some interesting things there. Uh, first, the Jazz out-rebounded the Suns by 15. Yes. They had 14 more offensive rebounds yeah, than, crazy. The, than the Suns did, but— Phoenix shoots 59.1% from the floor and 48% from three. Yeah. So when you're hitting shots like that, it's just going to be really tough to win, even if you dominate the boards.
0: Yeah, well, the Jazz are a really bad defensive team. They had that weird stretch where they were suddenly very good in late December, early January, and then they've gone back to being who they were. And by the way, I don't think that really has anything to do with the trades because Kelly Olynyk's not a good defensive player. Ochai Abaji is labeled as a defensive player and doesn't do a whole lot of it. And then Simone Fontekio played hard on that end. But, uh, you know, the Jazz are not a great defensive team. They're mostly made up of poor defensive players, and that's you you reap what you sow. And right now the Jazz are a bad defensive team because they mostly have bad defensive players on the roster. So I don't think any real surprises. I think we predicted one and two, right? Uh, And they found a way to get one of those wins. Easily could have been 0-3 because OKC is so good. But uh, we're getting to that point. Everyone's everyone's exhausted. Mm -hmm. Everyone's tired at the end of the break. Uh, So we will see. Uh, That might create an opportunity for the Jazz to steal a couple of games. Will Hardy talked to me about that a few weeks ago or maybe a week ago that Going to the all-star break, everyone kind of loses their focus, so maybe you can steal a game here or there. Or maybe teams are coming into Utah and stealing games. Certainly the trade deadline will, will have an effect on that.
1: Yeah, so the 1-2 and two week uh, resulted in the Jazz falling out of the postseason picture. Right now they're 11th in the West. They're 1.5 games from both rising up to 10th and falling down to 12th. Um, they're 2 games from the nine seed and 5 games from the seven eight seed. So those are out of the
0: conversation. Yeah. As we talked about, we said last week, and I think it was maybe one of our not to pat ourselves on the back, astute points, was the Jazz are competing for the 12th, 11th, 10th, or 9th seeds in the West. Really, that's what's realistically on the table, and I think that that really influenced what they did at the trade deadline, and we'll talk about, about that more coming up. Uh, instead of talking about the news this week, because it's such a big topic with the trade deadline, let's look at the week ahead for the Utah Jazz and, and what they have over the next couple of games going into the All-Star break.
1: Yeah, so they're going to host the Los Angeles Lakers on Wednesday and then host Golden State on Thursday, and then that's the last game before the All-Star break starts. You've already lost to
0: the Warriors. If you lose to the Lakers on Wednesday night, you're already two games back of them. Now you're three games back going into the All-Star break, and you're a game and a half back of the Warriors. If they win their next game and then the Jazz lose again, they're going to be two-plus games back of the Warriors. It's just—it it's it could be a— I don't want to say nightmare. There's no such thing as a nightmare where, you know, you know making the play-in or not making the, the play-in is not the difference between a nightmare and a great season for the Utah Jazz. And I've been telling you for a long time, the Jazz front office did not care about making the play-in tournament. Uh, but but realistically, the Jazz reshape how they're playing the second half of the season if it's no longer realistic that they can get the 10th seed.
1: Yes, very true. Maybe expect some more Taylor Hendricks minutes, even though he has been fully moved into the rotation now. Um, and Bryce Sensabaugh.
0: Maybe even Bryce Sensabaugh. We yep. can answer some of those uh, coming up in the Q&A. I know some Jazz fans asked about Bryce Sensabaugh. So we will do that. All right, Chandler, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will uh, look at the trade deadline, talk about the moves the, the Jazz made and what impact it's going to have on the rest of the season. Stick around. It's the Jazz Notes podcast. Welcome back to the Jazz Notes podcast. Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt. All right. Uh Jazz other than the Knicks were arguably the most active team at the trade deadline, right? I mean, yeah. they made a they made two moves and they were pretty significant. They got a first-round pick back, which the first-round picks that came back, I should add, Dallas was was super uh was super involved too in the trade deadline. Uh first-round picks did not move a whole lot. Mm-mm. Dallas moved one, Jazz got one. It's just it's not something we saw a, a whole lot flying around. So I think the Jazz were happy about that. I think they were confident. This is the these are the trades in whole. Just to recap them really quickly: Ochai Baji and Kelly Olynyk to the Toronto Raptors for a first round pick, Otto Porter and Kyra Lewis Jr. I'm not expecting a lot from either of those players coming back to the Jazz. You know, Otto Porter Jr. in his press conference, like I'm close to healthy and was out last night. And when we talked to uh, Justin Zanuck, he was like, "Yeah, we don't know how healthy he is." Like, I, they're certainly not betting on him playing. If he does, great. If he doesn't. It's not why the Jazz made the trade. And then uh, Simone Fontecchio for an early second-round pick and Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox was promptly waived, uh, bought out. And, in fact, the Detroit Pistons sent the Jazz the money to waive him. So the Jazz didn't even have to spend any money on him. They basically gave up Simone Fontecchio for a second-round pick. So now, after being in a spot where we were thinking the Jazz might have to sit out this 2024 draft entirely, suddenly they have a pick at the end of the first, a pick in the early second, this Wizards pick that they're going to get from Detroit. It's going to be like... 31 or 32 yeah and you might now get a top 10 pick so all of a sudden you have three picks in the top 35 and that's a totally different conversation than zero picks in the top i think there's only 58 this year because i still think there are two teams that have lost draft picks because of tampering or whatever so it's a it's a big change it totally changes the summer for the utah jazz and then it changes what we see from this roster for the rest of the season
1: yeah i saw a lot of jazz fans were confused about the fontecchio trade because even we predicted that if fontecchio were to get traded he would go to someone who was hoping to make a playoff run, but exactly the opposite of that. He goes Mm -hmm. to the Detroit Pistons, who are the worst team in the league. In his first game, he puts up 20 points and nine rebounds, so a really good game there. And the reason that Detroit made that trade, I'm thinking, is they want him to be a part of whatever they're building over there, and he's a restricted free agent, so they could very likely bring him back. So Detroit is about to make some weird moves in the offseason, and you remember last year. So Houston has been
0: doing this, like they tried to do the process. They tried to tank. Lose four years in a row, three years in a row, post-James Harden. They've got all these draft picks, and they thought, well, let's lose. We'll draft a star, and then we'll just build around that star. And even randomly, they have a star in Alperin Shangoon, who's really good. But, like, Jalen Green has not hit. He's fine, but he's not turned into a star that helps you win games. And we'll see if a Thompson ever turns into that type of guy or not. Like, we just don't know. And Houston got to the point where they were just like, oh, we can't we can't wait anymore. Like, this stinks. It's going to cost the general manager, manager his job. He doesn't want to lose his job, so what does he do? He goes and overpays for Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. And it's a Band-Aid, but, like, those guys don't get you closer to a title. So why did you do the process if you're not actually trying to win a championship? Like, you have to actually live up to the pain tolerance you're selling when you're going to lose 60 games a year. And Houston balked on that. Detroit's going to do the exact same thing this summer. They are going to go out, and they're going to overpay Tobias Harris and Kelly Olenek and Simone Fontecchio to artificial—not artificially, but to bounce back from 20 wins over the last three years to 38 wins and at least say, like, hey, we're in the play-in conversation. We're going to go try and trade for, you know, DeMar DeRozan this summer. It's like, okay, you didn't actually accomplish anything. You you hit the middle again of the NBA, which— As we can say, the middle is probably one of the worst spots to be if that's where you're stuck. Now, if you're the Knicks and you can rebuild from the middle and all of a sudden get to this point where they're, I think, competing for a championship now, that's good. And I think that's what the Jazz are trying to accomplish. But these teams that are stuck in the middle and don't realistically have a way out are in trouble. And I think that's what Detroit's going to do this summer because they've lost their pain tolerance for losing. And that's really dangerous. But that's why they traded for Simone. And I think the Jazz saw that writing on the wall and said, we can either give him to Detroit now and get a second-round pick, or we can wait until Detroit offers him $12 million in the offseason. And the Jazz aren't going to give Simone Fontecchio $12 million because Simone is 28. The Jazz aren't going to be contenders or in that conversation for two or three more years to the point where they're really good. That doesn't mean they can't be in the playoff or the play-in tournament next year, but really good for two or three years, and now all of a sudden you've got a 31-year-old and a 35-year-old Kelly Olynyk. It just doesn't make any sense. So that's why the Jazz made those moves. And they're looking at that time frame. They're taking a long view of this whole thing. They're not worried about playing an 83rd game, which we talked about last week. So I think that was some of the reasoning behind those moves and why the Jazz did that.
1: What would you give a grade for the deadline? I think if you're looking at just purely talent shipped out and talent received, it would be a low grade. But when you look at the context of where the Jazz are in the standings and what their long-term goals are, I would give it like a B plus. Yeah,
0: I think it's fine. I think you got a first-round pick and a second-round pick, and those have value, and you didn't have value this offseason. And the Jazz, if they didn't make those moves, we're going to let Kelly and and Simone Fontecchio likely walk. Or guess what you do? You re-sign them. And next summer, you're trying to do the same thing, except for or next trade deadline, you're trying to do the same thing. But Kelly's a year older and Simone's a year older. And they're getting less opportunities because Taylor Hendricks is playing in front of them. Like, it, you kind of had to strike while the iron was hot. And it wasn't the best trade package you probably could have gotten had you moved them maybe last summer. You know, like, Ochai was fresh off of being a lottery pick. The idea that you traded a guy who was a 14th pick for what's going to be like the 29th pick seems like really bad value. But, like, here's the gamble with Ochai Abaji. And, and I'm not trying to pick on Ochai, but, I mean, look at his last two games. And, again, it's early. But his last two games that he's had so far in uh, Toronto, and, and he'll find better footing. But he's 0 of 8 from 3. He's got 5 points, half an assist, 2 rebounds, shooting 23% from the floor. Okay, well, look at his last, you know, 18 games with the Jazz. I'll try and pull this back up to us. Here, I'll pull this back to the day before Christmas, or the day after Christmas. Jazz playing the 26th. This is Ochai Abaji's last 21 games for the Utah Jazz. He's averaging, he's, he's playing 17 minutes a game. Those are huge rotation minutes. 17 minutes, you're in the rotation. Ochai's averaging three points, 2.3 rebounds, and less than an assist. He's shooting 33% from the floor and 22% from three. Like, that is unplayable. Yeah. So, if you don't move him at the trade deadline, you do still move your veterans, you go young, everyone's expecting you to play Ochai. He better start playing better because if he doesn't, you can't trade him. If he's getting 25 minutes a night and he's playing like that, no one's taking him because he's just a bust. So you move off him while there's still this like first-round luster, this first-round sheen on him before everyone knows that he can't play. And I'm rooting for Ochai to go make it in Toronto, but I have pretty serious doubts, and this is something we've been talking about since we started doing the podcast together. It's like, are Simone and Ochai NBA players? Simone is. Ochai has still not answered that question. He's yep. 20, soon to be 24 he was older for a college player, it's like he's kind of actually running out of time pretty quickly. He might not get his next extension picked up, like the automatic qualifying offer. That might not get picked up, and the Jazz say, well, they cut bait and got a first-round pick, which they either make, or they package with the 32nd pick and move up, or they trade it for a first-round pick next year because someone at the end of the first is going to be like, well, there's actually somebody we like who slipped. We'll give you our 29th pick next year. And the Jazz say, fine. So that's that's kind of how I see this working out. Yeah, did the Jazz get great bang for their buck? Probably not. They got more for Simone than I, than I expected. They got less for Kelly and Ochai than I expected. So, yeah, I'd put it somewhere in the middle. B B plus, that's fine.
1: Uh, just after the trade deadline, uh, General Manager Justin Zanick spoke about the roster and the moves that were made. Uh, what were your takeaways from that?
0: Uh, I thought it was interesting to hear, you know, he complimented Simone on becoming a rotation player, talked about how Kelly had really helped them as a leader. And then when kind of pushed on, like, what the Jazz gave up, he's like, look, none of these guys are starters. Simone had started half the season, and Ochai's a nice guy. And it's kind quite, of quite literally what we say. He's like, Ochai's very athletic and he's a nice guy, which is not what you say. Like, Ochai was going to be a core member of our team going forward and we could win with him, but we had to give him up. I was like, no, he's a nice guy and he's athletic. It's not an endorsement. Yeah. It's what you say about somebody when you're not trying to insult them as a basketball player. And I'm speaking for Justin Zanuck there a little bit. Understand that's my interpretation. That is not what he said, but that is my interpretation of what he said a little bit. Um. Got to talk to him a little bit about the uh, Italian that they got, Gabriel Prochita. Actually, there's some some interest there. I think there's some intrigue there. I don't think he's going to come over this year, certainly. He's got a contract, only plays 17 minutes in Berlin right now, but has some crazy defensive numbers, Averages as many steals as he does turnovers, which is like a funny—I've never heard that ratio, but that was brought up to me specifically. It's like—so even if he gives the ball away, he gets that ball back. Yeah. So you're a net zero there. Super athletic, really good body, needs to figure out how to shoot. And if he can hit shots, he might be Ochai Abaji. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, honestly, yeah. I think the Jazz felt like Prochita's as good a prospect at 22 or 21 years old as Abaji is at 24. Yeah. Like, I really would bet you, heart of hearts, the Jazz would, would feel like those are probably pretty equivalent. Players, the only difference is Ochai's already in the U.S., and you have to see if Prochita can get out of his contract to get
1: here. But I don't know if I even expect him to see at the Summer League. Yeah, going back to what we said a few minutes ago, Zanuck said in the press conference, literally blatant as you could say it, the goal isn't to make the play-in this year. So exactly that. The Jazz acted as sellers at the deadline because they were hovering between 9 and 12. And honestly, it seemed like there was more pluses for the Jazz long-term to be 12 than 9. And he didn't say the goal was to make the lottery. or the goal. He just said
0: it wasn't about the play-in or it's not not about the play-in. It's not about conveying the pick. It's not not about conveying the pick. And I actually believe that. Now, they recognized they were going to get worse. And there's a real chance if you get worse, you end up, Keeping your pick this year. And I think that's fine. We can talk about that more coming up in the, in the Q&A. But uh, I don't think the Jazz made those moves specifically with the idea of like, well, we got to make the plan or we're not going to make the plan. They want assets. They want long-term options. And if they make the plan, fine. And if they don't make the plan, fine. I don't think they're going to be bummed either way.
1: All right, you want to get into our Jazz grades? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so every week we give uh, the Jazz grades on the past week on fun factors, standings, veteran performance, and the youth. Uh, let's start with the veterans like we always do.
0: Uh, fine. <laughs> you know, I, I hate to be lazy there. It wasn't a, a standout week where, yeah. you know, they had had some standout weeks, and Larry Markkinen had had some huge performances. Uh, over the last three games, of course, Larry Markkinen, always the Jazz best player, has played exceptionally well. 24 points a game. 56% from the floor, 50% from three, 100% from the free throw line, seven rebounds. You Again, you want to see those assist numbers kind of climb, but he was fine. Colin Sexton, 18 points, six assists, three rebounds. He has what he is. You know who's actually playing kind of weirdly well is John Collins. Yes. John I Collins is averaging uh, 18 and 10, shooting well, not from the three-point line, but 58% from the floor. He's, he's kind of figuring it out slowly. Now he has a horrendous plus minus, minus 16, and some of that's John, some of that's not John. Some of that's the lineups that they've been playing in including last night, the starters were terrible. They, Will Hardy's still going to have to figure out what that front court looks like. It can't be Lowry, Walker, and John. It didn't work at the start of the year. They're kind of testing it again now, and I think he's going to make the change after the All-Star break and not start those three together. It could be as soon as the Lakers game, but I don't think that works out necessarily. So, kind of what we expected. Jordan Clarkson was not great shooting the ball from the floor, but shot 38% from three, which is a good number from Jordan. Assists were down, rebounds were a little down. He
1: wasn't great. Yeah. So B-minus? C-plus? I was going to say B-minus. Clarkson did have 22, 7-for-17 um, 7 against the Warriors. Be- one of the be- better performances in that game. Yeah, B-minus. I agree. Now for the young guys. Uh, Keontae George is officially back in the starting lineup. Uh, that's going to be big for him. No more talking about Fontecchio for the young guys for us. Yep. Um, and then Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler had a, had a decent week. Um, definitely some struggles. Only had four points in the game against OKC, but did have nine rebounds and three blocks. Um, and then Taylor Hendricks has also moved into the rota- uh, full rotation now, which is big for him as well. Um, honestly, I, would, I think I'm going to go for a similar grade, like a C plus, B minus. Yeah, I mean, Keontae
0: George has really struggled his yeah. last two games, and he's one of 11 from three because uh, his role is changing, and he will adjust. The The nice thing that you've seen from Keontae George consistently is he bounces back. He'll have a, a stretch of four games where he scores seven total points, eight total points, and then he'll have 22. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's, just, he's young and – the nice is that the flash has always come back. He never really has sunk fully, and, and I don't expect him to. Taylor Hendricks is completely lost. Taylor looks worse today than he did in mid-December when he did get into the rotation was playing better. So I expect him to figure it out. I just think it's a big jump and there's yeah. a lot of pressure and he'll get to the all-star break and get some practices under his belt and start to look good again. But he has not looked good. He's looked very lost. And, uh, yeah, well, I mean, Walker's good. Walker was, I think, the Jazz's best player against, uh, against the uh, Warriors last night. So Walker's the best part of that, but, yeah. C-plus, probably where they are. Uh, hard to be too difficult on those guys at this point in the stage and what they're being asked to do because it's a, it's a totally different role. Again, you're, you're getting Keontae George in a different spot now, starting on this team, playing 30 minutes a game than he even had when he was starting early in the year.
1: Uh, next up, standings. Uh, like we mentioned, the Jazz are in the 11th seed right now. They're as far from the 10th seed as they are to falling down to 12. And looks like, even though like statistically it isn't, it looks like getting up to the 7-8 range is out of the question. I would say... D+. plus, Yeah, I think D+. plus. And
0: now, again, we're going to have to do this thing where we go back and look at the standings. And I'm writing about it in every article now, as, as I do Jazz Gamers, not just where they are in the West, but where they are in the league overall. Because if they end up with a, one of the bottom 10 records in the NBA, the odds are they hold on to their draft pick unless somebody jumps them in the lottery. And right now, they are a game and a half away from the 10th worst record in the NBA, and that's the Houston Rockets. Uh, and they are only two games ahead of the Atlanta Hawks, who have the ninth-best record, and they are four games ahead of the Brooklyn Nets, who have the uh, eighth-worst record. Well, Atlanta and Houston are both trying to make the play-in. At least right now they are, so I think they both have a realistic shot to jump the Jazz. Atlanta did not trade DeJounte Murray, uh, and then Brooklyn could get there. Again, Brooklyn was not huge sellers at the trade deadline. They did get rid of Royce O'Neal, but didn't they add Dennis Schroeder? Yeah. So Dennis Schroeder can help you win some games down the stretch uh, where they needed some guard play. Uh, and Spencer Dinwiddie is a, a weird person, so they, they don't have Spencer Dinwiddie anymore that they're dealing with who can play but is is admittedly bizarre. So we will see, uh, but I think there's a realistic chance that you guys get jumped by at least one or two teams Yeah, in the overall standings
1: in the, in the NBA and end up with their draft pick. Uh, next up, fun factor. I would type another lower grade here. Uh, the loss to Golden State and loss to Phoenix were not very fun ones. Um, maybe even like a D-minus. Yeah, I'd say
0: D. I yeah. mean, the, the OKC game was great. Yeah, it was. So I will give, you know, you get an A for that game, and then you put back-to-back Ds. It's like,
1: yeah, okay, you get a D, D plus,
0: whatever. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere in that range. Um, all right. You want to get into the mailbag? Yeah, let's do it. As always, uh, every Tuesday around 11, 11.15, 11, I'll send out a prompt on social media asking you to send in your uh, Utah Jazz and NBA questions, and then we answer them both on this podcast and in a uh, Q&A article that gets sent to your mailbox you can subscribe to the uh, jazz notes newsletter uh, and it gets to to you before it gets to anyone else so make sure you do
1: that at kslsports.com chandler what's first first up from utah jazz news the 2024 pick restricts future picks if we keep it this year but how big of a deal is it in the grand scheme of things just not being able to trade our own 25 or 26 picks how much does that limit our flexibility because i feel like it's being blown out of proportion a little bit
0: so i think the jazz are gonna try and thread a needle here if i'm telling you the truth i think They're going to end up with a top 10 pick this year. They're going to try and convey the pick next year when they have both the the, the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Minnesota Timberwolves picks owed to them. They'll lose their own by conveying it to OKC. And then in 2026, they get back their opportunity to have a draft swap with the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Minnesota Timberwolves. That comes back into play. So that's a big deal because what you don't want to do is not convey the pick this year, which is top 10 predicted, Not convey the pick next year, which I think is still top 10 protected. Maybe it's top 8, but regardless, not convey it. And then get to 2026 in the post-Donovan Mitchell Cleveland Cavaliers era where the Cavaliers are suddenly bad and the Jazz could swap draft picks with them, but they can't swap it because they owe their 2026 pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder because it hasn't conveyed in 2024 and hasn't conveyed in 2025. So even if the Cavs got the number 1 pick and the Jazz had the 28th pick, they couldn't swap it because that 28th pick has to go to Oklahoma City. Now, you lose all protections in 2027, and it actually turns into two second-round picks. So I think the Jazz are saying, this is my guess. You're so close already to getting another top-10 pick. You don't want to have five years of top-10 picks in a row, but two is okay, and you had Taylor Hendricks last year Maybe you just get one more top 10 pick this year because you've already done most of the work, right? Like you've done the trades. There's only 30 games left in the year. Yes, it stinks. You're asking the Jazz fans to have a pain threshold that they probably don't want to have. But be bad again this year. Get another top 10 pick. And then next year, try and be in the teens. Get to the play and convey the pick to OKC, which every pick in the teens is never going to be that good, even though next year's draft is supposed to be better than this year. And then in 2026, you six you're totally have the ability to swap your pick again. I, I honestly think that's what the Jazz are trying to do, and it's narrow, and it's takes some. It, it it's going to take some things to fall into place for that to work. But you know what? If you want to spend money this off season, you can probably guarantee yourself to finish in the teens next year, and convey the pick, and set yourself up well for twenty twenty six, and still add your top ten pick this year. Like, honestly, when I think about a twenty four month plan, that's probably what I would do too. It, it it I get it. You're asking Jazz fans to suffer. It's probably what you got to do to get another top ten pick. Not be terrible next year, convey the pick, and then have your, your swap rights in 2026. So it does limit your flexibility
1: a little bit, but I actually think overall that that's probably the best strategy. Uh, next up from Jake the Lynx uh, Sounds like players were especially upset last night. Do you think the players were more upset about who was traded at the deadline and teams suddenly having less talent, or okay with the remaining talent on the team, but upset at rotations and playing time? Kate, I, I was in the locker
0: room last night too. I did not get the same impression that other people had had. I did not quite see that the way I have seen some of the reports. I I do think there was frustration. I do think the Jazz are a little, you know, some of the players are like, well, next 30 games, we're not really competing for the play-in tournament. Like, you're just not going to without Kelly and Simone Fontecchio. You're not as good as you were. But at the same time, I, I think they were frustrated that it's the end of this long run and they're ready for the all-star break and they've just got to get through some tough losses to get there. Like, I think that's where a lot of the emotion was. It's just like everyone's exhausted. They're probably sick of each other. They probably just want to get to the all-star break and then they'll come back and be in a good mood and they've seen their family and they've seen their kids and they've seen their wives or their girlfriends or whoever, and then they'll come back and they'll play 26 games together and go on vacation again. Like, I, I didn't I, – I covered the Jazz when – the Quinn Snyder era was blowing double-digit losses, and they were supposed to be a title contender, and the clock was ticking, and they didn't make any trades to make the team better. And it was like, this isn't going to work, and they can see it's not going to work, and all these guys are going to get traded, and that's going to be really difficult in the offseason. You just didn't know who was going to be who. And they were just not performing up to their their talent level. And I thought those were worse locker rooms than what I saw last night. like I don't know if I would even say the Jazz locker room was one of the 10 worst I've ever seen. Like, I, I just didn't get that impression at all, and I was listening to the conversations, and I was talking to guys independently and hearing stuff, and I just didn't quite get that. Now, I do think there was a realization that the Jazz might not be playing for much over the next 29, 30 games. I think the players realize that, and I think that's hard. I think that's hard on the front office, too, but I didn't get this, like, this thing's going to collapse, and there's going to be a mutiny, and they're going to fall apart, and it's going to be toxic, and it's going to be so toxic that it poisons the well for Lowry Marketing going forward. I didn't get that at all. So, I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I misread it, but that's just not what I got at all. I think it has more to do with everyone being tired and losing a couple of difficult games going into the All Star break than it did like this big picture conversation.
1: Just my opinion. I could be wrong. Uh, Next up from Cannon Law. Shout out to Cannon. He's always putting questions in here for us. Uh, Lowry is a player whose value far exceeds his contract. Could it make sense to go all in next year and try to get a couple stars while Lowry is cheap? I know we made plays for Drew and KP, so it seems like the front office isn't against being good sooner rather than later. The Jazz will take
0: needle movers if they can. If they can get a good deal on a needle mover, they'll take it. If DeJounte Murray wants to come to the Jazz and the Jazz had to give up a 28th pick in the draft, they would have traded for DeJounte Murray. But like Jazz fans would you give up today Colin Sexton and Keontae George to get DeJounte Murray and a draft pick or two? Would you do that? Because that's probably the deal you're getting presented with. Like, are you willing to give up? Would you have given up Kelly Olenek, Simone Fontecchio, and Keontae George to get DeJounte Murray right now? That's probably what the offer was. And draft picks. So, like, are you giving up future draft picks, your best young player, and your veterans to get a guy in DeJounte Murray who might not... I mean, again, as we talked about, probably gets you to the ninth seed this year. You get the 83rd game, but you don't win a playoff series because of that move, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you move a, win a playoff series next year, and then you have to hope that Keontae doesn't become a better player than DeJounte Murray, and maybe he never does, but that's that's kind of what you're being asked. So I, I, I don't think the deals were out there for the Jazz to make those types of moves. So going back to Cannon's question there, uh, I, I agree. I don't think the Jazz are against being good sooner rather than later. And in fact, uh, Justin Zanuck said that on Saturday in his press conference that we had with him. He's like, "If we can be good, we will. If the deals are out there to be good, Jazz will pull the trigger. They're not going to be painful just to be painful. You know what I mean? It's not masochistic. They're not. They're not trying to lose just to lose because they want to hurt. They want to win. They're just waiting for that window to open and the right trades to be made. So they could, but I would tell you, I fully expect the Jazz to extend uh, and and kind of renegotiate Lowry's deal." And they'll give him $180 million this offseason and and lock him up long term. And then they'll still have financial flexibility to to add pieces and fill out the wing position and get more veteran players and still win. But I I don't think the Jazz will put off signing Lowry for a year and a half to take a gamble on somebody unless it's like somebody really special. Unless Paul George is like, you know who I want to play for is Utah this (laughs) offseason. Then maybe they say, oh, okay, you just want to sign here like we don't have to give anything up. Yeah, we'll sign Paul George and wait a little bit on Lowry, and Lowry will be excited, and then we'll sign the next year. No, the Jazz are going to lock up Lowry because it's the safe move this summer. Uh, And then we'll see what they do with the rest of their cap space. Could be acquiring players in trades. Could be taking money into their, their cap space. Could be signing guys. We'll see. It's not a great free agent class.
1: Uh, Going back to what you were saying about trading for DeJounte, I I think that if you're trading for an all-star caliber, DeJounte's not an all-star, but he is that caliber of player, Mm -hmm. at the trade deadline looking to be competitive for the rest of the year, that typically doesn't work. Look at the Mavericks who traded for Kyrie Irving last year and then sucked and dropped out of the playoffs afterwards. You need time to mesh together, and if you're just playing for 26 games after the all-star break, it's not really going to work. So I think that the Jazz did make the right moves. They're They're not against winning, but, like you said, they're just waiting for that window.
0: And, you know, I'd say the same thing about the Suns last year. Traded for Kevin Durant. I know he got injured, but, like, it got them to the second round of the playoffs. Like, they give four picks to get to the second round of the playoffs. They might not get past that this year. Again, it's like, you re- you have to be diligent. You have to be patient. You have to be smart with how you move these picks. Getting better, short-term, short-term pain relief is generally never a good idea. Unless you have a guy like Luka Doncic and you're like, if we don't win now, he's going to ask for a trade this summer. So they are, that's what's going on in Dallas right now. Like They know the trade request is coming from Luka. It's within 24 months. So they are doing everything they can, including spending all their future draft capital to keep him happy because they don't care about future draft capital because what are they going to get back when they trade Luka? Six first-round picks from the Utah Jazz. Jazz is going to give them six picks for Luka Doncic when he becomes available. But here's the problem. There's going to be seven teams offering six picks yeah. for Luka. But they're going to recoup all their draft assets when they trade Luka. So they don't care if they spend them now. But, yeah, you, you got to be careful taking yourself out of those conversations to get DeJounte Murray to get to a play-in tournament.
1: Like, yeah. You want to have all those draft picks for when that superstar hits the, uh, hits the trade market. Uh, next up from uh, Tyler Galt, uh, can, uh, do you have any updates on Bryce Sensabaugh? Will the Jazz give him playing time a la Hendricks, or will he remain in the G League? What is he working on in his game? So Will
0: Hardy was pretty funny yesterday. He was asked about it before the game about Bryce Sensabaugh and what to expect and he says, "Where we, he was asked, where does he want to see Bryce Sensabaugh improve?" And he said, "I want him to care about all the things that don't have to do with shooting." Now, that is both a hey, all you do is score, and like you've got to do everything else. And that has kind of been the knock on Bryce Sensabaugh. He's a terrible defensive player in the G League. Was a bad defensive player at Ohio State. He rebounds a little bit, which is nice. He's a better passer he's shown at the G League uh, than than he had shown at Ohio State. But he still is a bucket, and that's his his goal. Now. He's got to figure out how to do all these other things. Now, Will Hardy did come back and say, we still want him to shoot well. Like, that's what he does. His his NBA skills, he's a scorer. And there are guys in the NBA right now like Cam Thomas, not Cam Johnson, but Cam Thomas with the Nets who are a bucket. He is the leading scorer on the Nets over Mikael Bridges, over Cam Johnson. It's all he did at LSU. He's a great scorer. He doesn't play a lick of defense. The Jazz targeted him every single time on the floor when they played them the other night. Now, if he can score 40 and you can only score 36 against him, that's a win. But, like, is Bryce sensible at that point? Probably not. So he's got to get a little bit better defense or a lot better defensively and then do all the other things well. Uh, maybe over the last 15 games of the season, we will see him. Will Hardy had teased that he wants to play a nine man rotation, he has an idea for the 10th guy. I would bet that Bryce isn't the 10th guy. I would bet that's Luka Shamanich or Omer Asik or maybe even like a Kyra Lewis who they just recently acquired. Maybe you get him on the floor to see if he's better than Talon Horton Tucker because THT is not going to be on the team next year either. And maybe a young 21-year-old or 22-year-old like Kyra Lewis could be. So I'm not betting on seeing a bunch of Bryce Sensabaugh, but it is notable that he was with the Jazz last night and all the rest of the Stars players got sent back to the Stars.
1: Uh, Last up, from Jeremy Schaefer, Uh, Justin Zanuck referred to keeping the core intact this trade deadline. At the end of last year, Ochai was a part of the core. So who or what is the core? Is it just Lowry Markkinen?
0: It is Lowry Markkinen with kind of like a revolving group of players around him that are in that orbit. And I would say Keontae George is there now. Like, Will Hardy last night after the game, when asked about why he put Keontae George into the starting lineup, he said, I felt like it's time Keontae is a big part of our program. And consistently, Will Hardy has said Kiante's the guy. And Will Hardy again last night said, I think Keontae stepping into that role is ultimately is what's best for our team moving forward. Like they talk about Keontae a lot. Yeah. He is he's they're betting on Keontae being around long term and developing. And look, if if he's got to be the young piece you trade and a superstar to get a superstar back to pair next to Lowry, you do. But I, I just don't think the Jazz are looking at trading Lowry. I don't think of all the guys who are going to be in trade discussions for the Jazz over the next two or three seasons, barring something really falling apart or somebody else jumping up and being a true superstar in the Jazz, saying, like, well, we got to build around that guy. I think Lowry is the core. Young players around him, you wanted to develop either to fit or to trade to get a bigger piece back. But it's Lowry and, and it's everybody else.
1: I don't think that just because you're in the core means that you're untouchable, right? I think that. Um, going forward, like you said, Keontae George would need to be in a trade for Luka Doncic, right? I, and there was a report earlier in the year that Larry Markin isn't untouchable if you're talking about that top 10 player. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that untouchable and core go hand in hand at all. Um, I would maybe even throw Walker Kessler and Taylor Hendricks in the core uh, yeah, debate. Um, but doesn't mean that they're going to be a part of a Jazz championship run whenever that comes.
0: Absolutely. They are among the priorities of what the Jazz need to discover coming up, but, like, 29-win teams don't have cores. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, with all due respect to all these players, like, look at look at Detroit. Like, I would say Cade Cunningham's a part of their core. He's the number one overall pick. And if they're still winning 22 games three years from now or two years from now, like, they trade Cade Cunningham. Who cares? He's not good enough to help you win. So, Core is a funny word. Yeah. It's a funny word to use, and I'm, I'm. it's a good question. I'm not trying to say it's not a good question. I think it's a very good question. But I will tell you, Lowry is a part of the core. He will be a part of the financial core going forward. And then it's about finding all the pieces around him. And I don't know if they feel confident they have X amount of set pieces around him.
1: Thank you guys for tuning in to the Jazz Notes podcast. Uh, before next week, we will have two uh, games that could prove to be important for how the rest of the season will go, and then the All-Star break. Uh, make sure you follow us on all platforms at KSL Sports and sign up for the Jazz Notes newsletter. You can find the link for that in the description of all the episodes. You can also
0: find all of our All-Star coverage this weekend, including the Rising Stars Challenge on Friday, and Lowry Markkinen in the three-point shooting contest. Coming up, uh, stick around. We'll be back with you next Tuesday.